You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Green and Gold History. 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. It's now time for another edition of Green and Gold History right here on A's Cast with our A's historian, David Feldman, who we're, we're continuing to remember the great Ray Fossey. And obviously, Feldy, you worked around Ray with Ray for many, many years. Yeah, I did, Chris. Uh, you know, I started in the press box in the Coliseum was really 1990 and then uh, started doing TV stuff in 91 and eventually worked directly with Ray starting in 93. So I've known Ray for a long time and, you know, being an A's fan growing up, obviously knew Ray, right. Through the, through first as a player and then as a broadcaster in the eighties and then obviously the chance to work with him. So a long, long history with Mr. Fossey. Yeah. And and I think about, you know, in your lifetime, I mean, he's really, other than when he left the the A's to go back to Cleveland, he's been a big part of your life. He's been a big part of A's fans' life. That's why I always say he's the one player that bridges all the gaps and bridges all the generations from the people who watched the teams in the 70s to where even this year, being on television in 2021, all ages know, understand, and loved Ray Fossey. Yeah, it's true, except for the, the Billy Martin era. Right, the '81 team, especially one of the postseason. Ray's been a part of all the other postseason A's teams, right? Joining the A's in '73, joining that dynasty in the middle, and then being a broadcaster in the in the late '80s, and then back with the Moneyball A's early 2000s, the Bob Melvin A's. Uh, he is a connection to all of that, and he, besides being a player and seeing it, he's talked to all these guys. And that was the amazing thing about Ray as a broadcaster. Um, he interviewed everybody and he's got tapes and tapes. I know you guys have been lucky enough to play some of those, just everybody in the world of baseball for the last 35 years, Ray Fossey has sat down and talked to. So we did a living history book. And I'm so glad that those tapes survive and people can hear these conversations with all these, these hall of famers that, that Ray sat down and talked with. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully at some point, I, I know he's archived it, and hopefully, you know, because I think this A's cast is where we'll be able to start putting those together, and, you know, we got to let it, you know, time heal and, and and where the family is right now, but at some point, we would love to get all those and start like a series where that's something that we could play. I mean, as you mentioned, there's thousands of interviews. I mean, this is something that could go on for years, just celebrating someone who meant so much to this fan base. And I think it would just be like a great series to start running just classic interviews with the great Ray Fossey. 
Yeah, it would be. And it's just it's so great to hear the Ray interviews and hear that the, the players that he talked to, I mean, it's just the, the history of baseball coming through those tapes. And when you think about Ray as a broadcaster, he obviously was not a classically trained broadcaster. This is not what he planned to do in his life. And it really started for him back when he got hurt in 1974, right? That was the time where he tried to break up the fight between Billy North and Reggie Jackson in the clubhouse in, in Detroit, ruined his collarbone, and he's out. But while he was rehabbing and recovering, he actually joined Monty Moore in the broadcast booth for some games. That was his first taste of broadcasting. And then you think about that, he comes back in the mid-'80s and gets to work with Bill Mon, but still – his experience as a broadcaster is all self-taught and he, you know, unlike a lot of guys, he didn't come in thinking he knew everything about broadcasting. He asked questions and he was also one of those guys who could take criticism and advice. And as you know, Chris, in, in this business, we don't often get feedback from our superiors or the people who hire us. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, great job. You're doing great. Um, but for Ray, when you would go up to him and, and bring something up, and I was close enough to him that he trusted my opinion, um, he would listen and then implement it and become a better broadcaster because of that. He was never afraid to be told he wasn't doing something right or he could do something better. Um, maybe it's from being an athlete all those years. You're used to being, a, being coached. And he was, he was up for it. And he became a really good broadcaster. He understood in radio, you know, to make your point quickly because – either Bill or Ken or Vince, they need to be able to make, uh, to tell the play-by-play and, sh- and tell the story. But on TV, he understood he could take his time and tell stories and be a little bit more long-winded because the people watching TV can see what they're seeing. Right? You don't have to tell them. To, and to bounce back between the two mediums as well as he did, that's a really special skill. Yeah, and I just think back. When you, when you look at Bill King, Lon Simmons, and Ray Fossey in one booth together, like you may not have appreciated it then, but you now know what the greatness that was in that booth at that time. Truthfully. And you know, Lon Simmons loved working with Ray because Lon loved getting into the nuts and bolts of baseball. Right. And he knew that Ray could really dive into that. And Lon wasn't afraid to criticize the players. And that was a lesson that I think Ray also had to learn that it's okay to point out when a player didn't do something as well as he could have. You're not ripping a guy, but you're bringing out, maybe this could have been done better. And a great example for me was Luis Polonia when he was playing the outfield for the A's. He wouldn't just never throw to the cutoff guy. He thought he had a great arm. He had a weedy arm. He couldn't throw very far at all, but he thought he had this great arm. And he would always miss the cutoff man. And it would drive Lon insane. And Lon would talk about it on the air. And Ray, to his credit, would try and say, this is true, Lon. He should have done this, but this is what he's thinking and give us that ball player point of view and also kind of bring in the end. Yeah, he should really get the cutoff, man. <laughs> oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. And, you know, we, we've heard um, from Glenn Kuyper and we've heard from Ken and Vince, but you being someone behind the scenes, you really get to see how hard this guy worked, how hard this guy prepared on a daily basis. And, and I think it's just like, it's like who, who he was as a kid and how he was raised and then how he was as a player, just hard work was in his blood. hundred percent, you know, and that's the thing about, he never wanted to go on the air unprepared. 
where it came down to pronouncing a player's name correctly. If he had any question, he would make sure he knew the correct pronunciation. I can't even talk. Pronunciation. Um, and those the focus on the details, right? And that was, I was big with Ray. And the other thing that Ray was so good at, um, and you've read about it in some of these stories, is during batting practice and pregame, just talking to people and walking to, into a clubhouse. He had instant cachet because he was a former player and he was a World Series champion. He was an all-star. He could walk into any clubhouse and players knew who he was. And he was so respectful of all the other players. He never big leagued anybody, right? He didn't walk in like, I own this place. He was always respectful, but he had this, he had this way of respect about him. And other players would get pulled to that. And that's why he got all these great interviews because he talked to everybody and he would talk down in the batting cage. He would talk to the managers and that stuff would come out on the air, right? He had the insight that maybe some other broadcasters don't because they don't spend the time talking. And baseball is such a huge talking sport and a huge hanging around sport. I mean, that's what was really, you know, been missing during the pandemic year, especially was you didn't get a chance to talk to anybody. Right? You were, you were as broadcasters, they were kind of naked out there because they didn't really have that insight because you didn't have a chance to hang out and talk to people. Uh, and that's what Ray was great at. And he always brought that to the broadcast. You know, something that I've noticed throughout the years, and, you know, it's funny, there's something about catchers. Like, I've just put our, uh, you know, we, 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 had to, we had to, you know, not do it last year because of COVID, but every year since, God, I don't know when, we've always done a football guys trip. And for years, we did it during the Raiders bye week. And we'd either go to Vegas or Tahoe, and now we've been doing Reno. And I was putting the trip together. And I was thinking about it when Ray died, you know, like, you know, how I ended up having a really great connection with Ray. And I love the man, you know, three of the guys going on the trip are three of my ex catchers. There's something about catchers that they make great managers. They make great broadcasters. And I don't know if you buy this, but, but I, I always think it's this, it's the only position that everybody's looking at you and you are the only guy looking at everybody. And you truly, as a catcher, see everything that's going on in the game. Plus, you got to handle the bullpen. Plus, you got to handle all the pitchers. Just what is it about catchers that make not only great managers, but they make great broadcasters? Well, I, I think you hit it on the head. They're the only ones on the field facing the right way. I mean, that's it. They're facing out at the game. The game lay, is laid out all in front of them. Um, and they got the best view of the game and they can see how, how the game is building, how pitchers pitching, how our hitters hitting. That was one thing that Ray was so good at and former pitchers always talk about this is Ray could read the feet of hitters. So even if a game plan said pitch him some way, Ray would look at the guy's feet and see what he was expecting and pitch opposite to that. Um, and that I think pays off for a lot of catchers, the way that they read the game from that position where they are facing correctly. Um, and they're in control of the game. They're running the game as it is. They are the quarterback out there. They're calling the plays, per se, because they're calling the pitches. So they are in on everything. They're not a left fielder who's been daydreaming through a lot of at-bats because there's no action coming his way. A catcher is in on everything, and he's calling everything. And, you know, Ray, one of the things that, that always bugged him, uh, many things bugged him, but one thing that really bugged him <laughs> was uh, – when the managers were calling the pitches and the catcher wasn't calling his own game. 
And for Ray, that was so sacrosanct because how can you, you're the catcher. You're the one who's in the game. You're the one calling every pitch. You're the one in control. And you're giving that up to the guy on the bench who's, you know, doing it from who knows why. Uh, he never understood that. And I'm with him. I mean, it frustrates me in college baseball to see, you know, pitchers being called from the bench all the time. And you get that rare pitcher who's calling his own game. And it's such a treat and it's such a better game because of it. And, and I'm with Ray. Catchers should be calling their own game. Yeah, we could have done a top 10 list on things that bothered Ray Fossey the most. <laughs> let, let, let me give you one. The modern-day catcher who gets on one knee. So, you know what's very funny about that? And you're 100% correct. But if you ever go back and watch game one of the 73 World Series, Ray Fossey catching, Ken Holston pitching, Willie Mays at bat, guess who's catching on one knee? Ray Fossey is catching no. on one knee. I have video proof of it. You do not. I do. I took a still photo of it. I was so shocked. Uh, but yeah, but again, nobody was on base. A little different with a guy on base. Ray would never be caught with one knee with a guy on base. He can't block pitches on one knee. Right? It's just, you, can't, you can't move. And you're seeing it now today with some of these postseason games. The catchers can't move. They're drawing one knee. And it did, that drove Ray insane with guys on base. But yes, with the bases empty, Willie Mays at bat, Ray was on one knee. You know, I, I think something else that uh, we can say about Ray, and because I don't know why there's, I mean, I, I, I was just a baby back when they were winning World Series, but for some reason, that A's team, 73, 74, 70, uh, 72, 73, 74, and really 71 through 75 was, was such a great time. They never really got their due. Now, there's been some books written about them, The Last Dynasty and that kind of stuff, but they never really got their due. And it's almost like Ray still being around for all these years. Would you say he kind of kept those teams alive around here? Yeah, I've not thought of it that way, but definitely. He's always been the link to those great A's teams. And you are correct. They never got their due, even when it was happening. Uh, whether it's because they're playing on the West Coast, they're playing in Oakland. Nobody really knew where Oakland was at that time. Um, you know, they won three straight World Series. They won five straight AL West championships. Uh, they were a dynasty. You know, only one of the franchises ever won three in a row, and that's the Yankees. Um, but they don't get mentioned as the greatest teams of all time. They don't even get mentioned as a team of the 70s, right? The Reds get mentioned. The Reds only won two World Series in the 70s, right? He's won three. Um, three in a row. They beat the Reds in 72, but the Reds always get all the love, the big red machine. It's just for whatever reason, right? I can still be bitter about it, and, and I am. And, and Ray was a little bitter about it too, but Ray was that link to keeping that alive and being on air, and he would tell stories of Joe Rudy and Gene Tennis and Reggie Jackson and Burke Harris, right? He'd tell pitching stories about Raleigh Fingers and Vita Blue and Catfish Hunter especially, uh, and he kept those names alive. And now, you know, this is almost 50 years ago with those teams. That's a long time. Um, but they were great, and they should be honored, and people should know who they were. And, and Ray was a big part of, of keeping those memories alive. You know, from a TV standpoint, there's something to be said about that consistent voice, that consistent presence that you see throughout the season. And that has been Ray for a really, really wrong, a really, really long time. Just how yeah. hard is it going to be for NBC Sports California to replace Ray? And I'm not even sure you can do it with one guy. No, no, I don't think you can. Um, 
you know, and it's it's kind of what they have to decide how are they going to how are they going to approach this, right? Bringing in Dallas was a really smart move by them. Dallas, who is a modern ball player, who's in touch with with what's happening today and this and with the players of today. He's played with a lot of them. He knows a lot of them. Um, that's big, and, and you know his references are current, and I, I think that's a big thing, right? Because if you're trying to get people involved in the game, you need to not always talk about players from the 50s and 60s, but you need to talk about more of the modern players and use them as references. But you also have to pay homage to the history of the game, and baseball is written as history, right? It's how we mark the time, as we've talked about in Field of Dreams. Um, that's what it is. And so you do need somebody who has a little bit more background with the club um, and baseball and the A's. It's, those are big shoes to fill. And I, I don't know if there's a certain person that sips out and said, that's the guy that we need to do it, but they need to find someone with, that does have a little bit of history with the game and especially with the A's. The great Dave Feldman, our A's historian right here on green and gold history. Now back to A's cast powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.